I am hopeful that this is the last podcast that uh, I do on this laptop, and the next one will be awesome, acceptable. I don't know, better than this. I think you should stop buying brand Y that doesn't sponsor the podcast and switch over to brand X, which also doesn't sponsor the podcast, but is a brand I've been very happy with over the years. <laughs> You're not just about brand X. You are about like ecosystem X. It's true. Uh, you haven't been to the house lately since I've gotten the new speakers that go with brand X. Uh, I usually use my D3 money actually to, to upgrade the laptop. I figure it's like, it's like, reinvesting in your in your uh uh inventory if you have a store open right it's like I, you got to have the the laptop and the microphone and all that stuff to do this so you're putting your money back into the business football fans it's now time for the d3football.com around the nation podcast here are your hosts pat coleman and keith mcmillan it's the d3football.com around the nation podcast we're wearing our 12th season of podcasting and our 20th season of covering division three football welcome to podcast number 221 where we will talk about week 10 of the 2018 division three football season the edition for november 5th 2018 i'm pat coleman editor and publisher of d3football.com and i'm keith mcmillan or the Derek carrier to pat's joe davis yeah polite alums here on the uh on the podcast you certainly made that connection we saw some great games this weekend in week 10 to be sure i mean you know we didn't see them if they were on say stretch internet the biggest provider of streaming services to division three schools between oh about 2 p.m and 4 p.m eastern on saturday it would it would have been great to watch brockport or illinois wesleyan or any of a number of other key games we were left like somewhere in 2003 without live video and live stats on a bunch of big games in division three football Thankfully, unlike 03, there was enough Twitter coverage in those games that we could continue to follow the score. But on a big day, boy, those guys came up small. Well, there's another nobody that's going to sponsor us. If there's one more girl, you won't be getting. Yes, we're not going to get sponsorship from uh, Stretch Internet. And in all honesty, they should be spending their money on development. Uh, on Saturday, we had losses. <laughs> on Saturday, we had losses from the 5th, 6th, 7th, and 10th ranked teams in the East. The number 2 and number 10 ranked teams in the North. Uh, seventh ranked team in the South and the eighth and ninth ranked teams in the West. And while we did have 10 additional teams lock up automatic bids for a total of 13 of the 26 in the book so far, part of the playoff picture got a little murkier. We got a lot more clarity in some places. Uh, Keith, we definitely have uh, things to talk about from this week, but I thought maybe we would just uh, jump in and let the Twitter people ask the questions. What do you think? Twitter people are regular people. So yeah, let's let them ask questions. All right, regular people, here we go. Your categories have become tiresome. Now's the time on Sprockets when we dance. This first question is from uh, Silence is Golden at Martin underscore R underscore Taylor uh, saying, Setter is one spot away from making the D3FB hashtag top 25. It seems more people are starting to recognize how good they are. Do you feel that Center's chances of making the playoff increase this week or will winning next week convince the regional committee to give them the nod? Uh, those are not an either-or thing, of course, so those could both be correct. Um, I definitely think center, you know, I'm mean, obviously center one, so that helps. Center's strength of schedule f slipped back a little bit, uh, but so did Harden-Simmons, so they still have a decent advantage. At this point, winning is all center can do, right? It'd be helpful for them if they can certainly hope for other teams to lose, but all center can do is win on the field. Yeah, I mean, let's take this this question uh, in in parts, as you sort of almost did there. Um, 
First of all, silence is golden is a great Twitter handle. It means you don't run your mouth in real life, but you like to run it on Twitter, maybe. I don't know. Uh, Martin, the top 25, this is bad business, but at this point in the season, it's um, it's really not your concern if you're a center fan. It's nice to be recognized in the top 25, but you should care a little bit more about the top five, and that is the uh, the five at-large teams that are going to get in. So uh, you, you're, you're caring about um, – the uh, Bethel and St. Thomas game this week, right? Because those are those are two teams that are playing for a spot in Pool C. The Baldwin Wallace John Carroll game, you care about. You want to watch what happens in the North Coast Conference because if Denison takes that automatic bid, then Wabash and Wittenberg are Pool C teams that are going to be on the board around the same time as center. And you want to pay really close attention to the South Region rankings when they come out on Wednesday. It is Wednesday, my dudes. Because if center is ahead of Harden-Simmons, Muhlenberg, and Case Western Reserve, then I don't want to say all center has to do is win on Saturday, but they're in very good shape if they remain ahead of those other uh, potential Pool C teams that are that are going to be up for discussion uh, around the same time. So yeah, center's chances didn't increase a whole lot this week. Obviously, they need to continue to win. The only good thing I think that happened for Pool C teams is uh, Salisbury's loss because if Frostburg beats Salisbury on Saturday, that's a team that was eight and zero, now eight and one, and will be eight and two if they lose to, to Frostburg on Saturday. And at eight and two, uh, they are not going to be a, a very viable Pool C candidate. So at this point, all those Pool C teams are now rooting against everyone else in Pool C, and the most realistic. Um, of those teams to lose on Saturday is probably Salisbury when it goes against Frostburg State in the Regents Cup. Next question is from Dan Lauer at DL5315 asking, any concern with Brockport struggling to beat Cortland? Uh, I'm just going to say it's a yes from me. I say no, actually. Uh, Cortland was 7-1. They did lose to Alfred, and and we didn't certainly didn't expect them to beat Brockport. But... Um, that's a, I mean, a seven. You, you beat a seven-win team by one score. I don't think that's that's terrible. I look at it as the just kind of the the culmination of a few of games like this now for Brockport. Right? They've been in situations where teams where we would expect uh we would expect them to blow out uh, Utica, and we would expect them to to I don't know if blow out Cortland necessarily, but beat them by more than five with an interception at the end zone at the end. I think we would expect them to beat Ithaca by more than six, no matter how good we think Ithaca is. I think that's just, those are like three things that for a, a returning national semifinalist with a whole bunch of guys back outside the offensive line, I, I think I just expected something different. At this point in the year, teams, we usually give them kind of one free pass. Like as long as they keep winning, they're, they're going to have to battle through a close game every now and again. You look up and down the top 25. Almost every team has been in one game like that, save uh, maybe St. John's and, and Mary Harden Baylor. Um, the Ithaca one and the Cortland one, especially if, as we watch those two teams face off against each other this week, uh, they may be there. They apparently are, are pretty good teams. Again, seven wins. Um, and uh, so I, I, I think, like when I went down my top 25 this week, it's pretty much everyone on the top 10 blows out everyone else. And then Brockport had this tight game with Cortland. St. Thomas had a, had a tight game with Gustavus. Now that game, I think, concerned me a lot more than the Brockport one because Gustavus wasn't quite the level of opponent that uh, that Cortland was. Yeah, I think that's also that's a big question. I wonder, there's lots of things that could have gone into this. I mean, the weather wasn't great, but you know, St. Thomas loves to run the ball. I don't think the weather should have been an issue. 
You know, St. Thomas could have been looking ahead to Bethel. Every time you hear Glenn Caruso talk about Bethel, it's like that's the game they have circled. I'm pretty sure they have another game that they would circle on their calendar, but uh, they, they say they circle the Bethel game. Um, I don't know. It was just a uh, when um, it's it's the sort of situation where, you know, there's 121 games going on, most of them simultaneously. And uh, uh, and and Greg Thomas in our Slack chat said, is that score correct? Which was 14 nothing at the half. I'm like, damned if I know, because I haven't paid any attention to that game because I didn't think I had to. It was correct. Yeah, there, at any given week, there's a couple of shockers, and, and, and St. Thomas having the battle to beat Gustavus was uh, was one of them this past week. Now that's a game that, uh, going back to the previous question for a second, if that game had flipped, if uh, if Gustavus had hold, held on to win, that would have increased everybody's pool C chances too because then there would have been a possibility that you know, with St. Thomas then having picked up loss number two, St. Thomas could have given Bethel a second loss, and certainly, if nothing else, given Linfield a much clearer path, at the uh, at an at large bid, or maybe uh, ensured that nobody from the West got an at large. Yeah, but we're talking hypotheticals now because St. Thomas did win. Indeed, it's all about the hypotheticals. Next question is from Skip Clary at Skip A Mania, asking: Can Baldwin Wallace or John Carroll make the playoffs if they lose next week at D three Keith hashtag D three FB? Can I guess? Will. I don't think so. I don't think there's room for this would basically mean that the committee is taking three teams from the OAC, giving two of the five at large bids to one conference. And that just doesn't seem mathematically likely. Yeah, this is a hard no from me. Uh, Baldwin Wallace and John Carroll. We think they're in the winner. The loser is, is not it. I mean, you would have to have a cascade of losses, including uh, you know, like we said, Mary Harden, Baylor, Muhlenberg, I'm not Mary Harden, Harden Simmons, Center, Muhlenberg, Case Western Reserve, Misericordia, the St. John's, I mean, St. Thomas and Bethel can't both lose. I mean, there's just so many teams right now in Pool C. Salisbury is still in the discussion. Um, right now, we're looking at Linfield. We're looking at maybe 10 legitimate candidates for five spots, and some of them will sort themselves out on Saturday. Uh, with the, the games we've mentioned, but I don't think there's a there, I don't think there's any case right now where someone can lose on Saturday that isn't currently undefeated and get in because right now Pool C is just too strong. There have been some years where we've seen a weak group of Pool C teams or two lost teams with very strong resumes that can put their resume up against teams with uh, with one loss and say, eh. We might have one more loss than you, but we also have these wins over regionally ranked opponents. We have a super high strength of schedule, and there just don't seem to be any teams like that this year. If there were, they'd probably be out of the CCIW, but I think it's going to be a discussion of a handful of one-loss teams for those five spots on Saturday night. It'll be interesting to see which CCIW teams are ranked in the North region this week. There's going to be one more spot available because with Eureka losing on Saturday, I don't think that uh, Eureka at uh, one loss will still be in the regional rankings with that uh, strength of schedule that they have. You know, and I was thinking about this today because I I took a closer look at Baldwin Wallace uh, when I did my uh, top 25 vote to see if I should slide them in or not. I don't even know if Baldwin Wallace is is in with a win. Now they're nine and one. And they would have a win over John Carroll, which we would assume in the final regional rankings that John Carroll is still regionally ranked. But if they're not, Baldwin Wallace, all they have to go on is pretty decent strength of schedule. 
OAC is always going to be pretty close to 500 because they only have the one non-conference game. Next question comes from Aaron Weisberg at the Berg 37 asking which region is likely to get the most pool C bids. Hashtag D3FB. I think that uh, I think the South is certainly stacked up to do fairly well. And there's only five. So, you know, somebody is guaranteed to get more than one. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if the East will get one. So maybe there are two regions that get more than one or maybe a region gets three. Yeah. I mean, let's walk this backwards. Right. We think. The West has the St. John's Bethel winner and Linfield. East, you mentioned maybe not strong candidates out of the East. If Salisbury beats Frostburg, then Frostburg is a very strong candidate mm-hmm. out of the East. In fact, maybe the first one in. Yeah, handful of candidates in the uh, in the South as we mentioned them all before, and then the North. You have the Baldwin Wallace John Carroll winner. You have Wabash and Wittenberg. If neither of them are the uh, North Coast champion, and am I forgetting somebody out of the North? Well, the North, it kind of depends on how the committee lines them up on Wednesday. We'll know better then. And, and I think that's that's the way to answer this question is when if the, the, the team, if the South has four teams, right, and the top team is center, and then Harden-Simmons, Muhlenberg, and Case Western Reserve, well, we don't know how many of them are going to get in until we know what happens to that first team. If center doesn't stack up better than the St. Thomas Bethel winner and the uh, John Carroll, Baldwin Wallace winner, and Frostburg State. You know, if they're, if center doesn't get in until the fourth round of discussions, then that limits the opportunities for Harden, Simmons, and Muhlenberg, and Case Western Reserve to even get to the board to be discussed, much less uh, get in. If we have not made this clear previously, the selection committee will only discuss the top at-large team from each region at each time. So they're only discussing four at-large teams at any given time. So Case Western Reserve it may be a while before they even get discussed because the other South teams have to get in first. Yeah, they may not even get discussed. I would definitely, uh, to hear more on that, I'd again, send people back to Pod 216 from a couple weeks ago. We talked about this in some depth with uh, Jim Catanzaro, who is the uh, National Committee Chair for Division Three football this year. Up next from Ken Morton, who is at TeachHB saying any chance both Dubuque football and Wartburg football represent the American Rivers Conference in the D3 playoffs? Hard no. Um, in fact, lucky that uh, they have an automatic bid because no uh, American Rivers team would stack up as an at-large team. But I think this question is actually a good um, for good for us to take on the air. I think this question is a, is a good thing for us to address because I can think of a couple years ago I was at Randolph-Macon playing Hampton-Sydney. Randolph-Macon had a chance to finish 8-2, uh, and two, I think, with the win. And they went for two, and they lost 28-26, if I recall this all correctly. Um, and a person who used to be a coach on Randolph-Macon staff when I was there, so someone who knows D3 well, right, not just a noob to this, he asked me, does, does all right, Macon lost, do they still have a chance to get in? And that was like, no! There's no chance of a, a multiple loss ODAC team getting in as an at-large team, but it goes to show you that I don't know that everybody grasps how large Division Three is, right? There are 28 conferences, 26 of which have automatic bids this season, so almost all the 32 spots are taken up automatically, and then you just have the six spots. And as we've mentioned several times, if you're a longtime podcast listener, one spot is set aside for 
uh, Pool B teams. That's teams without access to an automatic bid. This year, that's just the new Mac and one independent, Thomas Moore. And then you have Defy that large. So I, I think this question, as absurd as it may sound for those of us who get deep into the uh, weeds of at-large bids or for those of us who've uh, listened to several podcasts now and would be like Dubuque and Warburg, I haven't even heard those two teams mentioned. Well, it's just a reminder that D3 is super large and most conferences aren't going to get multiple teams in the playoffs. I might as well throw out the reminder right now that Keith and I do not select the teams for the playoffs. All right. Uh, number six, last question from Twitter for the uh, for the podcast. This one is from Max at mstella underscore 41 asking, do you think Brockport will have a one seed or is it more likely another West team like Whitewater or St. John's gets that fourth spot? Uh, I think that one thing that we have not really mentioned uh, very often on the podcast is one of the extra criteria that is used by the committee to kind of separate uh, teams that are unbeaten. And when you only have 10 games in Division Three, there's not a lot of cross-regional play by definition and kind of by Division Three philosophy. So, you know, there's not a lot of... There's not a lot of ways to separate uh, a bunch of 10-0 and 0 teams. So one of the things that the football committee is allowed to use just for unbeaten teams is to look back at last year's playoff performance as a kind of tiebreaker. And I think that is where we would see... Brockport continue to have uh, a number one seed because they went to the national semifinals last year. St. John's lost in the first round and Whitewater did not play in the playoffs last year. Yeah, I actually think you guys over discussed this rule because oh, really? as you mentioned, it's yeah, I, I think it's there as a tiebreaker for unbeaten teams. And in this case, Whitewater, St. John's and Brockport in the scenario being discussed, they would all be unbeaten. So it could apply here. But I think this is basically up to the discretion of the particular committee and its philosophy or the or the way that it's made up in any given year. In other words, once they select the 32 teams, they spend most of the time on seeding. And the first thing you do with the seeding is you figure out who, you, who your four number one seeds are, because then you can build around them geographically. So this will be a discussion they have very early on Saturday night. And I think if I had to just answer the question directly right now, do I think Brockport will have a one seed or is it more likely that Whitewater or St. John's gets the fourth spot? I think it's probably Whitewater or St. John's when you lay it out by the criteria. But again, we got to see those rank those regional rankings on Wednesday, because if you look at what Brockport has done over the course of the season, beaten Ithaca, beaten Cortland. Now those two teams play each other on Saturday. And so they may not be in the final regional ranking, but if they're both ranked, then you, you have Brockport with a couple of uh, region, wins over regional regionally ranked opponents. They'll have a solid strength of schedule. They'll have common opponents with some other teams uh, in the tournament. So they may have a, a, a good case for being number one, but I think it's going to be tough to have a better case than, uh, than uh, St. John's. Whitewater, on the other hand, may also have no wins over regionally ranked opponents. Although if Dubuque wins and Dubuque is in, that game from way back in week two ends up being a pretty – big win for Whitewater. So long answer to a short question, but I, I think it's up to the committee. And if you look at Frostburg also being in this discussion, you have six possible real teams with good cases for, uh, for number one seeds. And, and they're definitely going to build one around Mount Union and Mary Harden Baylor, barring a momentous upset on Saturday. And then you got to build the other two. And is it going to be St. John's Whitewater? Brockport. I don't think there's a wrong answer necessarily. And if uh, Frostburg State is 10-0, I think they may be in the discussion as well. 
I don't think it is possible actually to overstate the tiebreaker, and here's why. I go to the East Region rankings, and they are ranked in reverse order of strength of schedule, these three unbeaten teams at the top, but they are ranked in the exact order of how they went out of the tournament last year, Brockport in the semifinals, Frostburg in the quarters, and RPI in the first round. I go down to the South Region. Uh, Barry has a gigantic strength of schedule advantage over Mary Harden-Baylor, but... You know, again, Mary Harden-Baylor advanced further in the playoffs last year. Now, the West region is uh, sorted more by uh, by strength of schedule. But then again, none of those teams won a playoff game last year. So I don't think that's uh, particularly telling either. That's just my take. It's in okay. there for a reason. The committee asked for it because you remember the year that when they felt they could only use the printed criteria, they ended up sending... Uh, Whitewater on the road in the second round is something like that, and they ended up winning the national championship, which uh, is something that made that committee look not super good. So they tried to uh, I, they tried to add something to make that better. Yeah, and and the the Wyack this actually came up on the board this week. The Wyack schools have always been in a tough spot because as an eight team conference, you only have seven built in games. Nobody wants to play the Wyack because they don't want to get punched in the face repeatedly. So those teams have to go out and schedule three games and they don't often have a lot of success doing so. And that there was a particular year where Whitewater had like a four, eight, seven strength of schedule and they had to go to North central in the second round. They, they did fine. It worked out great. Part of the fun of the playoffs is playing new teams in new places. Anyway, it's not that long of a trip from Whitewater to uh, Naperville, Illinois anyway. So it all ended up working out fine, but you do bring up a good point and they do have that rule in place. I just think they're usually things from this year that that the committee can use to decide remember the the they have their own they have discretion you know the the regional advisory committee i don't think they have to make up a, a reason with the numbers to say uh mary harden baylor is better than barry necessarily um because th- that's what the regional advisory committee uh spends all season doing determining I'd like to take this time to mention that the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is currently available for sponsorship. You could be reaching an audience full of decision makers in Division Three football. Oh, you know this. Have you heard this spiel before? Here's the deal, right? Coaches make decisions and influence decisions to spend like tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands, sometimes even up to a million dollars on all sorts of things around the sport of football, around the athletic department. If you want to reach those people, and I know that these people listen because they tell me, say, they tell me, hey, I can't believe you guys don't have a sponsor yet. Yeah, come come do this. Do the thing. Pat.Coleman at D3Sports.com is the email in which you need to contact me, and we can find something that is compared to the amount of money that you would get, or even as an individual salesperson that you would make on commission for selling uh, install on a turf field. The amount of money that we would charge you to reach these people is actually kind of laughable. It's almost like a rounding error. So give me a call. Drop me a line. Stating point of view. It's time for game balls. And today my game ball goes to Keith. Mc- I'm sorry. It goes to Rashad Baker. Baker went for the full McMillan, picking off four passes on Saturday against Cortland. And uh, four interceptions in a game is something that happens, you know, once or twice a year. It did happen early this year, and we talked about it when Rochester's Robert Grant did it against Alfred State. But Baker did it in one of the biggest moments of the season for Brockport. His first two interceptions each set up scoring drives for the Golden Eagles, allowing them to go up 14-7 in the first half. And his fourth interception came in the end zone with seven seconds remaining to secure the 21-16 win against Cortland. 
I'm going to presume he got a game ball or four from Brockport, but he gets one from me as well. Well, salute to Rashad Baker. I'm sure at that moment, after his first two interceptions, he's thinking he had a pretty good day. And uh, yeah, your team's only up by seven. So you got to keep working. For my game ball, let's go back a few weeks. And as bad as North Central looked against Wheaton, they looked that good on Saturday against Illinois Wesleyan. Now, there was a point in that game, and I was able to tune in after a couple of refreshes, where Illinois Wesleyan was going to score to make it 28-21. The Titans catch a slant inside the 10-yard line, fumble going in as North Central recovers on the two. It was the sort of play where NFL replay would have first examined whether it was a catch, then whether a football move was made, and then whether the ball crossed the plane of the goal line. In this case, the CCIW officials not only had no replay, but they had no doubts. North Central turns around and hits an 86-yard pass play soon after that, and suddenly what would have been a seven-point game, 28-21, early in the fourth quarter was a 21-point 35-14 margin, and North Central shut the door from there. Shut the front door. My game ball, however, goes to freshman wide receiver Cameron Moore, who caught the first touchdown pass of the game and took the kickback after Illinois Wesleyan tied the game at 14. The Cardinals never trailed again, and at 8-1, and one, they're one win away from earning the CCI We will rise if we're, say, directly below St. Thomas or directly below Linfield this week. Those two teams in completely different areas of the top 25 poll had similarly surprising results in wins on Saturday, with St. Thomas winning a defensive struggle against Gustavus Adolphus and Linfield having to rally after giving up a hugely deputed sound. In a week where there weren't all that many losses, St. Thomas's and Linfield's games stood out as the kind of games teams in their part of the poll should handle a little more easily. And just for the record, it was St. Thomas uh, scoring 14 points in the fourth quarter to defeat Gustavus Adolphus 14-13 and Linfield beating Puget Sound 47-41. For me, Pat, I was finally able to let go of Wisconsin Lacrosse, which beat Illinois Wesleyan early in the season and was otherwise hovering way too high on my ballot. But North Central's very convincing 38-20 win over the Titans left me with a new artificial riser. That was Wheaton. I can't get that 52-30 win over North Central out of my head. And the Cardinals now deserve to be back in the top 25, so they brought the thunder with them. This means I have to look the other way on Wheaton's losses to Illinois Wesleyan and Wash U. But it's also the time of the year when ballots and teams' resumes don't make perfect sense. And voters can apply criteria like how they performed in most, most recent game. Voters can apply criteria like more recent games, how they played against their best opponents, home road splits, or whatever justification they need to make the ballot line up. I also brought Wesley back into the fold this week because even though the Wolverines have three one-point losses to Rowan, Frostburg State, and Montclair State, all teams that are above 500, they also have handed Delaware Valley and Salisbury their only losses. Pat, shouldn't you have a clip of yourself saying somewhere, it's not who you lost to, it's who you beat? It's not who you lost to, it's who you beat. I just did it live. Is that all right? I could use a clip of you yeah. saying that I say it too. I, I think I've used it a lot more on the message board than on the podcast, but at this point, you might as well just throw it in there. It's definitely now a thing that I say that you say, but I actually say it more often now. I'm sure there's a term for that. Um, I don't know what that is. That wasn't flying. That was falling with style. My team that'll take a fall this week is Eureka. I mean, the Red Devils aren't ranked, but it's worth noting that they may have taken themselves from playing a team such as North Central in the first round to playing a team such as UW-Whitewater in the playoffs. 
Eureka missed a chance to clinch the knack automatic bid when Lee Anthony Reasonover fumbled in a two-point conversion attempt and Eureka fell to Lakeland 56-55. A win for Eureka against Rockford or a Lakeland loss to Aurora or, you know, it wouldn't help if uh, CUW lost as well. Uh, either of those, any of those things will put Eureka back in the playoffs. I think there's a distinct difference. I know I'm kind of splitting hairs here, but I, I really think there's a distinct difference between playing the number one seed and the number two seed in any given bracket. But at least Mountain Union is more than 500 miles away. For my team, that'll take a fall. I dropped St. Thomas from seven to nine after that nail biter of a win against Gustavus. But zooming out a bit, the Tommies have gone from before the St. John's game looking like a stag bowl contender and clear number three team in the country to one that you can't even confidently say is a playoff shoe-in. The Tommies might still beat Bethel on Saturday and become a team that many may not want to see ride into their home stadium in the postseason. But would you be surprised if Bethel won Saturday? Would you have been surprised by that if I asked you the same scenario a month ago? Um, let's see. Yes. No, it's no and yes, I think. It's no and yes. Yes, Pat. Come on, work on this. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. All right. For my off-the-beaten-path highlight, I'm going punter. Uh, Austin Baker averaged 50.6 yards a punt on eight punts on Saturday in Heidelberg's loss to John Carroll, but it was one particular kick of his that opened eyes. That was a 95-yard punt that not only flipped the field, but probably sent it spinning as Baker punted from one end zone to the other with the help of a healthy wind. But still, the student princes were backed up on their own five, and Baker booted them well out of danger. All right, so he probably outkicked his coverage, but I think he probably would have outkicked just about any coverage with a kick like that. The previous record, by the way, record, NCAA Division III record for longest punt. Previous record set not that long ago when Maranatha Baptist's Gunnar Rastenberg punted 191 yards against presentation in 2014. But uh, how often do we get to talk about punter and 95-yard punt? I think this is the uh, perfect occasion for it. And I, I don't know if you watched the highlight, but the first time I saw it, for some reason, I was convinced that it wasn't just going to be a kick from out of his own end zone over the John Carroll punter's head and rolling, rolling, rolling. I, for some reason, thought it was going to roll and like die inside the five yard line. Punt actually went into the end zone and it was a touchback. So it was only what, like a 80, some 80 something net yards. 75 but, yards. Uh, out, yeah. Yeah, it was it was a it was a legit 95 yard kick smooth over the uh, returner's head and, and the when the returner doesn't feel the ball and then the ball bounces another 30 yards, it drives coaches nuts. But in this case, Pat, you mentioned the, uh, the, the wind. For my off-the-beaten-path highlight, Carnegie Mellon was back on the field after their game last week was called off because of the shooting in Pittsburgh. The Tartans played an amazing first 58 minutes with Westminster, trailing 16-13 when they took over with 1.54 left. And the Tartans' drive immediately went bad with incomplete pass, a sack for loss of eight, and an incomplete pass on third and 18. It was over, except for a roughing the passer call in Westminster. Three plays later, the Tartans were in the end zone, and even with the point after being blocked, they led 19-16 with 50 seconds left. They're good, right? But wait, there's more. Shimon Walker and the Titans, a lot of Titans in this pod, by the way, go six plays and 59 yards and 37 seconds for the winning score with 13 seconds left. So two touchdowns in the final minute, Westminster beats Carnegie Mellon. For my most surprising result, I'm going with Framingham State not only defeating Western Connecticut, but really taking it to the Colonials. Framingham scored 28 points in the first 11 and a half minutes and went on to win 48-26. Now Framingham State controls its own destiny for the MASCAC title, heading into Saturday's game against 2-7 and seven Worcester State. Well, I love that dirty water. 
my most surprising result was Wisconsin Eau Claire beating UW Oshkosh. After their 20-0 loss to Whitewater, I thought the Titans had turned the corner with back-to-back wins against UW Platteville and UW Lacrosse to claim the number two slot in the WIAC, reinsert themselves in the playoff picture, and creep up toward the top 10 again. Since then, they have had back-to-back six-point road losses to UW Stevens Point and UW Eau Claire, which are both two in the four in WIAC and sub-500 overall. The Titans may be growing road-weary as the trip to Eau Claire was their seventh road game among nine overall. Pat Cerrone's team, national runner-up two years ago, a semifinalist with a 25-point lead at home against Mount Union last year that they blew. Now they're just hoping to beat UW Stout and avoid a 500 finish. For my stat of the week, I'm going to go back to interceptions. Listeners may remember Michael Bianco, who intercepted five passes in a game last year for Becker. On Saturday, Bianco played his final home game and started on senior day, but he started at running back, and he led Becker to its first win of the season. Bianco ran for 180 yards and a touchdown on 24 carries in a 31-17 win versus University of New England. Bianco hasn't had the ball in his hands nearly as much this season on defense, but he did get 25 touches on offense on Saturday, the 24 carries and a 10-yard catch. For my stats of the week, uh, Husson put up some silly numbers against Gallaudet. 681 yards to 43 in total offense with a 401 to 4 edge in passing yards in the Eagles' 63 to 2 ECFC clinching win. But I'm going to go one better. Pat, can you guess the total number of third down conversions in 26 tries in Southern Virginia's 8 to 3 win against William Patterson? Uh, I appreciate you giving me 26 tries because, you know, sometimes third down conversions don't happen because first and second downs get converted. But uh, thinking that maybe the total number of uh, first downs in this game is somewhere in the 20s. So uh, third down conversions out of 26. Uh, it's got to be a single digit, but I don't know. Yeah, you usually at least have a, you know around one third. There were eight third down conversions in this game, Pat, and eight turnovers. Yeah, that sounds pretty much like an 8-3 to three game then. Which it was. Southern Virginia scored with a minute 17 left to win that one. I know. And William Patterson's uh, losing streak then continues, and it is extended to 24 games. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about losing streaks coming up in a little bit. Every thought of yours is Actually, that's the music, so I guess we should just kind of dive into every thought of yours. Let's do it. Pat, there were so many week one results that didn't seem consequential at the time, but do now. Bethel beating Simpson, Center beating Hanover, Southwestern beating Denison. These are all games that at the time, I don't think we discussed, at least not in depth back in the uh, post week one podcast, but these are now all involving teams that are uh, playoff possibilities. Salisbury not only lost in overtime to Wesley on Saturday, going into their rivalry game with Frostburg State for the Regents Cup. They might be with a a different quarterback as well. Jack Nowitzki, you know, he's never going to have the passing numbers in this uh, triple option offense, but uh, he's the the trigger man at quarterback for Salisbury. Uh, He was uh, knocked out out of the game in overtime, so he was uh, replaced by... Frank Pippich, who was part of the preseason quarterback battle. I'm not sure how much he's played this year. Um, They list him as a wide receiver, which is a guy who blocks, basically, in the Salisbury offense. So it'll be interesting to see how that uh, situation develops. Who starts at quarterback for Frostburg? No, who starts at quarterback against Frostburg? Well, Pat, as you often mentioned when we discussed the triple option, it's so 
much based on timing. So who is that trigger man? Uh, has a lot to do with how well the offense succeeds. An offense that didn't succeed but did in a lot of ways on Saturday was uh, out in Oregon. Linfield converted just one of 10 third downs, but quarterback Wyatt Smith passed for 449 yards, and the Wildcats needed every last one of them. A 59-yard touchdown strike with 35 seconds left after Puget Sound had taken the lead with 51 seconds left turned out to be the deciding score, and Linfield's slim playoff hopes remain afloat. Here's the other mention of losing streaks that I was uh, teasing earlier. Bowden got off the schneid. They snapped the second longest active losing streak at 24 consecutive games. They defeated Bates, uh, one of their arch rivals in the CBB rivalry, by a score of 31-14. to 14. Uh, That leaves still tied with the uh, longest active losing, well, second longest active losing streak, I'm sorry, uh, is Kenyon and William Patterson at 24 apiece. And yes, uh, Earlham did not defeat Defiance on Saturday, so the losing streak, the Division III long, record-long losing streak continues. Well, Wesley, if they've had a theme. Each week on our program, of course, we choose a theme, bringing different kinds of stories on that theme. Or a streak this season, it's been a... uh streak of finding ways to lose one-point games, generally involving uh, bad point-after attempts. Uh, not 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 so hot play in the kicking game. Well, Wesley tried hard to, to, to muck this one up in the Route 13 rivalry game against Salisbury. Uh, Kalik Burrows threw five interceptions. They Wesley missed a point-after early in the game. They also missed a point-after with about a minute left. Mm-hmm. And somehow, some way, they managed to beat Salisbury 19-13 in overtime. They tried to muck it up. They missed a couple of point afters. They were going right to their theme, and uh, and they still pulled it out. It's something like 12 wins in 14 games in that rivalry for Wesley now. Kanan Gabley with four touchdown passes, three touchdown runs, and a touchdown catch on Saturday as Denison took it to Worcester, winning 66-18. Uh, those individual amazing numbers for the Denison quarterback aside, I feel like there were a few games on Saturday in which teams on the fringe of the playoff race really took it to overmatched opponents, and this is one of them. Randolph Macon, the old alma mater, played its way into a much worse seed if it wins against Hampton Sydney next weekend, but a much better rivalry game. They lost on Saturday to Ferrum after winning uh, every game since the opener. So they were 7-1 and one going in. They're now 7-2. and two. They'll be 8-2 and two if they beat Hampton Sydney. But the difference, especially in that part of the country, is maybe like a first-round game against Maryville or Center or someone like that. And now I think they're probably going to get stuck going to like Frostburg. Yeah, that, that's definitely a big difference for sure. Uh, let's see. At the St. Thomas game, we talked about uh, St. Thomas trailing 13-0 at half, 13-0 going into the fourth quarter. Uh, The Tommies made a quarterback change at halftime as Ronnie Jones was put into the game in relief of Jock Para. Now, Ronnie Jones, it turns out, is Danny Jones' brother. And if you have not been, if you've only been in, in Division Three for the last five years, you probably don't know that Danny Jones is a guy who started his career at Cal Lutheran and then transferred to UW Whitewater and quarterbacked UW Whitewater to the national championship. Uh, Ronnie Jones's passing numbers were decidedly not great after he was put into the game. He completed just five of his 17 passes in the second half for the Tommies. But then again, Danny Jones uh, played and won in a national championship game, going 9 for 24 for UW Whitewater. Yeah, I don't even know why I'm bringing this one up, but uh, there was a particular tweet sent my way after Millsaps was 4 0. 
taunting me for one of uh, many, many bad picks I've made over the years in quick hits. And since that tweet was sent, Millsaps is 0-5. Yeah, there's a whole be careful what you wish for thing, right? Western Connecticut fans looking for votes for the Colonials. Eureka fans may be looking for votes for the Red Devils. Both of those teams got a demonstration as to the difference between being in the top 25 and being 8-1, and one, shall we say. And this was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast number 221, season 12, episode 23, released on November 5th, 2018. Thanks for listening and keep an ear out for the rest of our coverage throughout the week. If you like this podcast, this is the deal, right? You rate it in Apple Podcasts, or if you think of it as iTunes, rate it in iTunes, I don't care. Uh, rate it on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podkicker, your pod player name here, because that will help other football fans find it. Uh, you can leave comments for us on the blog page as well. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at djmentos.com. Thanks as well to the creator of Around the Nation on d3football.com and my co-host Keith McMillan. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering a post at d3boards.com. Also, you can follow d3football.com on Facebook. So this podcast is your Monday thing, your Tuesday thing. If you haven't done it yet, go out and vote. 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 Well, I mean, vote once, but do vote. Voting is important. Election day is Tuesday. I want to make sure that uh, everybody gets a reminder to go out there and do that thing. Do the damn thing. Yes, vote. Yeah, that probably wasn't the way I meant to say that, but that's the way it came out. It's important. It is, and of course, as impartial folks, yeah, we're not going to tell, tell you who to vote we're for. Not tell you who to vote for. There's 435 <laughs> yes. house seats. There's a whole bunch of local races. There's a ton of governors. I I couldn't possibly tell you who to vote for. I don't know who's on the ballot, but sure, certainly somebody is, and you should go vote. And right, right, right. I'll just leave it at that. Somebody fought for your rights, or maybe they didn't. On a completely different note, I went to go see uh, one of my favorite podcasts do a live show this weekend, uh, and I got a, a short chance to talk with the guys who run it afterwards, and his recommendation to us was drops every 30 seconds. Mm, drops? So I'm thinking uh, I'm thinking I'm going to take up the challenge at some point. Um, that means we have to get about 80 drops into this show. What do you think? Seems like a lot of drops. I'm just saying. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody.